We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I have a little bit of a lost voice. Hopefully it's not too bad. Um, thankfully, <laughs> it's much better than yesterday. Last night when on my ride home from the game. I definitely could not speak very much, um, but I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to be joined as always by my guys, Tyler and Alex. Tyler, I'll start with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. My voice was definitely gone yesterday <laughs> and this morning. I'm just getting it back. But I'll, I'll make it through this. I'll push forward. <laughs> After yesterday, I have to say, like, I don't understand how people drink alcohol at games because my head was pounding <laughs> for the entire second half. Mm. And I was just like chugging waters, trying to stay hydrated and trying to make sure that I could <laughs> continue yelling my face off. And I did had a great time, but um, yeah. definitely was a fun experience overall. Um, Alex is here as well, joining us from a foreign country. Alex, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so what happened when uh, Tyler and Steven were at the game is they uh, gave the monkey the machine gun known as Twitter <laughs> and that uh, proved destructive effects. So uh, we won't talk about that. No, it's all good, man. We all we all have takes and, and hopefully no one disagreed too strongly because I think at the end of the day, it's all, you know, hear the moment and we just, you know, got to move on. So um, we are going to move on today. I, I do want to start out by just kind of talking about the environment of yesterday's game in the stadium and really mm. like I had been to some other NFL stadiums before I had been to the Coliseum in Oakland. I've been to, you know, the Coliseum in LA. I've been to, you know, a bunch of stadiums in my life. I've been to Levi's stadium, uh, been to the Broncos stadium, but SoFi stadium truly is like next level game watching experience. And if you're on the fence of, of going to a game this year, like I highly recommend anyone who is thinking about it to just go and you'll have a blast. The game is awesome. There are definitely some things they need to work out like parking and things like that. But overall the game experience at SoFi stadium is just so, so good. The production of the game is awesome. I loved when they did the introduction as the team was running out, they started playing thunderstruck and just, it was such a cool environment to see. And I, I think Tyler kind of feels the same way as well. Yeah, this is my third time being at that stadium now for something sort of live, but 
the atmosphere this time I just think was more electric. And granted, things count this game, but it just there was something different. And when Linval Joseph, you show they show him walking out, thunderstruck yeah. goes on. I'm like, hell yeah, like we're gonna win. We lost, but still, at the, <laughs> at the beginning of the game, I was pumped because yeah. it's like, heck yeah, I don't know, I don't know why they had the camera on Linval, but there's something right about it. And when Justin Herbert came out, I was cheering, and the atmosphere was so strong. I genuinely got emotional. I don't, I've been to Qualcomm. I've been to StubHub. I've been to the whatever the hell the Raiders call that thing in, in uh, you know Northern California. And I, for whatever reason, I got emotional for the intros. And I don't know why, but there was just something about the enormity of everything, the atmosphere. And I think part of it too was also, and we can talk about you know debating fan attendance. But to me, even though I do feel like the Dallas Cowboys fans did outnumber the Chargers fans, there were enough Chargers fans there to fill up StubHub just it was Chargers fans, like no problem. There was so many more fans there than I ever expected there to be, especially with the Dallas Cowboys showing up. So it was just so electric, and I, I had such a great time except for the final score. Yeah, and I, Alex can certainly talk about what the game looked like on TV, but being there in person, it felt pretty close to 50-50. I definitely give the edge towards the Cowboys fans, but mm-hmm. it being against the Cowboys, like that's a massive, massive win in my opinion for this team. The fact Absolutely. that you know, there were so many Chargers fans there was so much fun to watch. It was great to hear everybody. You know, the Cowboys fans definitely had their fun with the Amari Cooper chants and the Let's Go Cowboys chants. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we had some really good moments too. Like when we when there was that delay of game, right after yeah. the Cowboys punted, it was like a truly electric moment, and everybody around us was having a great time, high fiving each other. So I feel like we showed out, man. I really do. I feel like, you know, the Chargers mm-hmm. fans that went were loud. They were rowdy. And I thought it being 50-50, at least in game, in the stadium, I think that's a huge win. Yeah, I mean, even if we're talking about it being 60-40 or 55-45, like whatever it was, that's much better than I thought they would do. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I jokingly said on the show a couple times, I expected it to be like 50,000 to 20,000. Um, and I think if we were at StubHub, that would have been the kind of ratio that we saw really in that stadium because it's so, you know, out of the blue and you also get priced out of tickets faster in that stadium um, mm-hmm. based on limited seating. So, like, I-, I think that in that stadium, there probably would have been more Cowboys fans uh, by a significant margin. I thought watching on TV it was 55 or 55, 60% uh, Cowboys fans. But either way, I think that's a massive win, especially when you yeah. consider that, like, the opponents that will eventually come up that, you know, you're not playing the Cowboys every week, right? Like you do have to deal with the Raiders and the Steelers that will come up and those will kind of be like the Cowboys in a sense, but you also get a chance to play the giants down the road and you also get a chance to play the Vikings. Right. So like, I think the chargers can do better Mm -hmm. with those games and probably win a majority of the stadium. Right. So it'll also be based on, you know, whether the team is winning at the time or not and whether people want to sell those tickets. I mean, you know, that's just the market and you know how natural it is, but uh, it's a great victory in that sense, uh, although they lost the game. Yeah, and I, the, the one thing that I'll say, like I talked to a bunch of Chargers fans that said that, you know, they were kind of like on the fence of like, you know, the Chargers being L.A. or the Rams being L.A. and they've kind of stayed on the fence recently. But, you know, Justin Herbert and this team and Brandon Staley has brought a lot of new fans into the stadium. And I think that's great. Like we've got to continue to grow this team and continue to watch Justin Herbert improve and Brandon Staley improve and, you know, once this team starts winning uh, to the scale that we think they will down the road, I think it's going to be a much better environment. And that's really what it is. It comes down to from a 
fan turnout standpoint. We just need to keep seeing improvement, and I think we will. Um, so before we get started on the game takeaways, I do want to mention our one of our sponsors, which is TickPick. TickPick is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for an all NFL tickets. I saw a couple of people mention that they had been using them recently. And if you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you'll save $10 on your first order, regardless of tickets or location, whether you're going to the game this weekend in Kansas City or a game in SoFi Stadium. Use the code GUILTY for checkout, and you'll save $10 on your first order. All right, that being said, let's jump into this uh, recap, if you will, and talk about just some kind of our general takeaways of the Chargers' loss to the Cowboys. Alex, we'll start with you. What's your kind of big takeaway from this game? Um, Just not nearly as efficient as week one uh, in terms of what we saw on both sides of the ball. And my main takeaway is just shot themselves in the foot too many times, right? Like even on the touchdown uh, that they scored early in that game, like they commit, what was it, like five penalties on that drive (laughs) and keep continuously backing themselves up um or you know like on the drive before half like it's like okay well we're getting momentum and then you know Tristan Viscaino misses the field goal um you know which was an unfortunate way to kind of go into the half uh or you have something like okay the Cowboys are about to punt Chargers are going to start on their own 25 and KJ Hill says no we're starting on the eight yard line um so I think there were just so many of those kind of moments throughout the game where um, the Chargers had the chance to seize momentum or sort of like take the game. I thought the Cowboys were pretty sloppy in a lot of respects, either outside of their run game, although I did think their uh, defense did play better than I thought they would. So, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of things you can say that, hey, the Chargers could have done this. Um, I'm sure people will have questions about the refs later, so we're not going to talk about it. But, uh, yeah, it just wasn't nearly as efficient in terms of what we saw from the Chargers last week against Washington. And that was really the big uh, disappointment to me. Yeah, that's kind of been the theme of the last two weeks, at least in terms of the red zone offense in particular. You know, in this game, you had Keenan Allen slip. Like, you had the penalties, which have been an issue in both games. Um, So I don't take too much away from Justin Herbert in this game. Of course, you saw some people – talking about regression and things like that. But, you know, I think where, you know, a, a Jalen Guyton drop and uh, a Keenan Allen not falling down away from him having like two amazing games. And it just is kind of a rough, really kind of turn of events. I don't necessarily think this is, you know, a pattern of them struggling or things like that. Um, but my, my general takeaway is that the red zone offense has to be better going forward. And I think it will because, you know, Tyler kind of pointed this out to me earlier. The Chargers have been in the red zone 10 times and they've only scored three touchdowns and Washington's not a great team, but they're, they're a return playoff team. Like they're solid. And I think everybody kind of expects Dallas to be in that same kind of tier too. So when you're playing these good teams, like you have to execute in the red zone. And like I said, it was just kind of some, you know, unfortunate events at certain points, but you know, you're playing the chiefs this week and the Raiders look better this year. Of course, we'll see, you know, they're always frauds until proven otherwise. Um, but then you have the Browns and then you have the Ravens like it the schedule right now is about to be much more difficult than it has been the past two weeks so if you're going to beat the Chiefs if you're going to beat the Browns if you're going to beat the Ravens you can't be going 30 percent in the red zone and that's kind of my big takeaway 
whatever the case may be, whether it's, you know, running the ball more, which is what Brandon Sadie kind of mentioned, you know, involving Donald Parham more, something needs to change in the red zone and it needs to change like immediately. Sorry, let me just block this user for saying that. Okay. Um, yeah, the red zone thing was uh, disappointing to say the least. Donald Parham has been targeted once. Uh, we target, was targeted once that game and it went for a touchdown. It wasn't the red zone, but like, can you get him more involved at some point? I don't understand. I felt like all of training camp and in, well, definitely training camp, we saw Parham catching touchdowns over and over again in training camp. Like, yep, yeah. here he is. Here's the weapon. And, and what happened to him? Um, as far as the shooting themselves in the foot part, they are currently, the Chargers currently have the most yards in penalties and have the oh, third gosh. most total penalties. They are top three in terms of offensive holding calls. So <laughs> here's what they're on pace for. So in 2020, they had 85 penalties in 16 games. Currently, they are on pace for 153 penalties this year. Oh, my gosh. Um, granted, obviously, now granted, that is a 17-game schedule, wow. but 153 penalties is what they're on pace for. Now, granted, oh my the gosh. refs contributed, and there were some calls that you know are a little excessive there. And some they hopefully, moving forward, things will kind of even up. But, yes, they are currently on pace to have double the number of penalties or very, very close to the double number of penalties that they had last year, which is not good. Um, my big takeaway is that the run defense is absolutely struggling, and I think it comes down to a number of players, but really two, in my opinion. Early on, Jerry Tillery, but for most of the game, um, Kenneth Murray. And I'm a little surprised that right now he's not doing as well as, I, I don't know, that I thought he would be, to be completely honest, because he's at least, yes, it is a different system, and you know, potentially the injury, well, there was something there about the injury that hampered him, but I'm just surprised at this point that he's missing everything. So anybody in the chat, I want you to guess. Let me find the number here. Hold on one second, because I have to bring up this stat because it kind of blows my mind just a little bit. So um, average depth of tackle for Kaiser White is 2.8 yards. It's 1.5 for Tranquil. What do you think it is for Murray? What is his average depth of tackle right now? If you guys want to guess, go for it. Alec or Steven, if you want to guess, unless you already know it. No, you can just tell me the information. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll it's say eight like yards. Eight yards in the run game. His average depth of tackle right now is eight yards. Holy shit! And and that's how bad things are going right now for Kenneth Murray in the run game. Like I, I'm pretty sure the average depth of tackle in the passing game might be eight yards. <laughs> He's eight yards in the run game right now, according My to Pro Football Focus. I'm pretty sure. Arjun, you can correct me, but I'm pretty sure it's eight. Again, two point eight for White, one point five for Tranquil eight for murray that's how bad it is right now and so again better defensive tackles better defensive line you can you know that number probably goes down but still right now we're at an eight for murray and that's not good no i think there's uh, i was listening to the athletic football show today and nate tice was talking about um zayvon collins for the cardinals and, and the way that he was talking about zayvon collins made me think of kenneth murray because what he said about zayvon collins was that he is just a C ball, go get ball. And if that works, it's a great splash play. If it doesn't work, your defense is screwed. And that's what I feel like Kenneth Murray is doing right now. There was that great play in the fourth quarter where he read Ezekiel Elliott's run right off the bat and go and went and tackled for him loss. Tackled him for a loss, excuse me. And then there was another time where he really tried to like knife through the, the offensive line. And Zeke just like simply bounced to the other hole that Kenneth Murray had just vacated and went for 15 yards. 
So it's frustrating to watch because he's so talented and he's so physical, but he's just really struggling to diagnose plays right now. And I, I felt like this watching the game, even Brooke, you know, sitting there next to me was like, why is Kenneth Murray running left while Ezekiel Elliott is running the other way? Like it is, it, he's in a bad spot right now, mentally more than anything else. And it, it's like, they need him to bounce back because you know, this defense is not, really ever going to reach its height until Kenneth Murray is playing better. Yeah, and I mean, I think the run defense is definitely specifically the theme, whether you're talking about uh, the lack of Justin Jones, you're talking about Kenneth Murray, Kaiser White was pretty invisible for most of the game or just kind of outright bad. Um, all of those factors, uh, I think, factor. And for me, it was also, they were also just positioning themselves prior to the snap so far off ball and I was like, you know, they have Zeke and Pollard. They've been cashing you the whole game. Like, that's what they're going to keep doing unless you stop them, right? Like, uh, yeah. and then maybe that, you know, they'll target you through the air. But, like, that that was just the thing that kind of infuriated me yesterday. Like, yeah, I mean, I do think the run defense is bad because, you know, Linval is a little bit older. Uh, we talked about Tillery tons of times. Uh, they call him Joe Gaziano instead of Forrest Merrill or Braden Fajoko. Um, which, you know, is kind of another issue. And, you know, obviously I think the Cowboys offensive line just played a little bit better than what the expectation was for them prior to the game, certainly. Um, You know, so when you allow like 200 yards like that, I think it's a combination of both the run defense scheme. I think they were certainly more prepared prior to the game to defend the pass. Uh, and I think it's just a product of who they have. They they don't have a run defender when Justin Jones comes off the field. That really scares you, um, you know, given that Linval Joseph is older and, and all of these other things. So uh, it's just a tough spot. Now, I do think they get some relief next week because the Chiefs are not coming at you with like a high artillery rushing attack. Obviously, yeah. you know, they're going to throw you through the air and that's where they're going to test you, um, as as we saw against the Ravens last night. But, um, you know, after you play the Chiefs, you know, you got to go play uh, the Raiders. You know, they have a decent running attack with Josh Jacobs. If he's back, obviously, and Kenyon Drake, then you play, you know, two of the best running attacks in the league in the Browns and the Ravens. Right. So that's that's really the scary thing. Um, And and so I, I really don't know how they're going to fix that, because to me, it's both a scheming issue, which I think can help but it's also very clearly just a talent and personnel issue at this point. I don't think that they have the right guys to stop the run. Yeah. I wasn't super worried about the run game. Like, you know, if you had told me a month ago that the Cowboys would rush for 200 yards, I would have been like, what the hell happened? Like what went wrong? So I wasn't super worried about (laughs) this game, but I was definitely worried and still am worried against the Browns and the Ravens and back-to-back weeks. Like those are probably the two best rushing attacks in the league even still with the Ravens running back issues because of Lamar, but it's, it's, it really is a concern right now. And I know that there is some of Brandon Staley's scheme inviting teams to really kind of run the football and take, you know, what the defense is giving them and be patient and, you know, have these extended drives, but at the same time, like it's not designed to give up 200 yards rushing. And part of it is exactly personnel, right? Like not having Justin Jones Mm -hmm. puts more stress on Jerry Tillery. It puts more stress on Christian Covington. And I thought Covington played pretty well in the first game. I wanted him to see an expanded role, 
but he's not a starter. Like he is a reserve player who needs to be used as such. And Jerry Tillery, like he got blown up a couple of times in the first half. I'm not denying that fact. One was by Zach Martin. So I will allow that to happen because Zach Martin is <laughs> arguably the best offensive lineman in the league right now. The other time there was one, there was a double team by, uh, I forget who the left guard is, uh, Connor Williams in the center, Tyler Be it as They got him on a double team one time. So that's not great, but it is what it is. And then the Terrence Steele one that Daniel Popper posted was awful. But I think he improved quite a bit in the second half. There were a couple of times where he shed some tackles pretty on, pretty early on in the play, got in the backfield, and either made the play or forced the running back elsewhere. And Linval Joseph was the same Mm -hmm. thing. He wasn't great in the first half, but Linval Joseph was very disruptive in the second half. So the defense definitely came out and adjusted. They only gave up three points in the second half. So, I mean, credit to them. Like, they did really come out, but it is a concern because if you give up 200 yards rushing to the Browns and the Ravens, you're losing. You're not going to be in those games. You will lose to the Browns and Ravens if you give up this much running, this much success against running teams. It's, I don't know, it's it's tough for me to gauge how it would turn out if they give up 200 rushing yards a game, but somehow only got (laughs) uh, 20 points scored against them, but... Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs, even successful in the red zone and every part of the field, they lost a lot. Like they, I think the Chiefs are the team that's the worst against the uh, against the run right now. That's because that's because they played the Ravens, and even then, with all the offensive fire firepower they had, they still couldn't put it together. So, yeah. you know, the Cowboys aren't really a run first team, so I don't think they could really punch it in. They couldn't really capitalize as much as a team like the Ravens or Browns could. So, yeah, it could get ugly. I, I don't know what they're going to do because, you know, Joseph is nose tackle one, Covington is nose tackle two. That's the way they want the roster, and they're going to keep three defensive tackles otherwise. What do you do to change this? Do you, I mean, is Tillery now your situational pass rusher? Do you just get Justin Jones back if things get better? Do you have a sixth player, a defensive lineman, added to the team? Because right now they're just they're always two no tackles, three defensive tackles, no matter what. How do you change? I, I don't really know what the answer to this is because right now it's 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 tough. And sure, bring up Merrill, bring up Fahoko, but again. Joseph is no cycle one coming to his no cycle two. I don't know. What do you, how do you change that? I don't think you can. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be what it is. And your defensive attack, your, your defensive tackle slash defensive ends have to step up. Yeah. I mean, you'll, it'll be better when you have Justin Jones back. It'll also be better when Chris Harris is back because that'll allow Derwin James to be in the box more. I know some people were like, where mm-hmm. was Derwin yesterday? He was in the slot playing against Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb and company. Shutting like the, down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this was not about Derwin James. Like he was great. It was just a different kind of great. So I think it'll be better mm-hmm. once Justin Jones comes back. But I think to your point, like Jerry Tillery is playing the most of all the defensive tackles right now. And I get it. Like he's the first round pick. Like he is theoretically, you know, the best pass rusher of the group. But I, I would like to see them be able to rotate rotate them more situationally. Um, right now it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, keep guys fresh and I get that, but I think you need to have a specific plan for getting Tillery more pass rushing reps and fewer rush and fewer run defense snaps and doing the opposite with Christian Covington or Justin Jones, or if they bring a Merrill or whoever, um, and really keep Tillery fresh as a pass rusher and not give him all this responsibility as a run defender. I think he's improving in that regard. Like I know people are going to give him a lot of shit and give me a lot of shit for saying that but I do really feel like he is improving against the run. It's just coming at a slower pace than all of us would like. Um, But he did make some good plays in the second half. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think just... at some point. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, Alex. No, I'm sorry. Go you know, I would just like to say <laughs> this comment made me laugh because I actually completely forgot about this moment. It's just it was out of my head. I guess it's coming out of halftime. <laughs> the play where uh, the touchdown where Zeke. <laughs> Zeke almost got it before the half, and he stuck, got oh, stopped yeah. at like the two yard line. Like that was really just encapsulating the entire game for me, where the Cowboys just you know broke some big run or had like that almost play, and just it, you know it was just kind of sloppy throughout. Um, and so yeah. w- when we talk about Zeke and all these things in the run defense, it was just uh, it was really bad vibe the entire game. Yeah, it was it was sloppy on both sides for sure. All right, let's let's shift gears and talk about some positive takeaways because I, I think there let's definitely were some positive things. It definitely was not all bad, even though um, it was not very pretty. And I'm going to start by saying this, and of course we can talk about the negative effects of this happening, but I truly think the Chargers have something special brewing on the left side of the offensive line with Rashawn Slater and Matt Filer. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, Rashawn mm-hmm. Slater gave him more pressures, but I thought he was really excellent holding down the left side. And it was a similar effect. Like they, they started out the game trying to put Micah Parsons on the left side. And they just realized like, this isn't going to work. Like you're not going to get past Rashawn Slater. Um, My guy Bradley and I did get past him like once or twice, which made me feel very conflicted. Um, But I I think the relationship that's developing between Rashawn Slater and Matt Filer is really, really solid. You can see them working with each other. You can see them communicating. They're passing off stunts at a very high level. They're making run blocks at a very high level. Matt Filer is the fourth highest graded run blocker in the league, regardless of position on pro football focus right now. Like Rashawn, and it showed up on tape. Like I haven't watched the all 22 right now, but rewatching the broadcast, you really see Matt Filer and Rashawn Slater making an impact on the run game in the passing game. And that's one of the things that I think they can do in the red zone to bring more efficiency is just run behind those two, man. And then you mm-hmm. add in Corey Lindsley too. So we can talk about the right tackle and like the adverse effects of that. But right now the left side <laughs> of the Chargers offensive line looks really, really fantastic and really, really strong and much better than even I would have hoped for at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's true that you, you just look at those guys and, you know, they were the one positive thing you could say about the offensive line as opposed yeah. to kind of what the right side was. Um, but Slater's just looked awesome in these two games. And I feel like he's been tested and has responded. You know, he has not had the easiest job going. Against Chase Young, then forcing, then, you know, allowing Michael Parr to invade Norton. Um, you know, so that was an issue as well. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think my biggest positive was the secondary. Um, I thought the secondary back to Adam. Uh, I know he dropped the pick in the red zone, which was a problem. But, uh, you know, other than that, you really had Derwin being Derwin. Uh, I thought that he was just really solid in pass coverage, obviously having to play in the slot due to the loss of Chris Harris. So that was really great. Um, you have Asante Samuel Jr. getting his first interception, which was really cool to see. Uh, and Davis locks up Amari Cooper, right? Like that That's a huge storyline as well. So um, if there's one unit that I come away with like a positive take from, it's the secondary. Because to me, this Dallas, uh, these Dallas receivers were not going to be easy to stop down a cornerback in Chris Harris. Uh, and they just did it. You know, obviously 
it helped that they got gashed in the run game. So therefore, you know, the, the Cowboys weren't throwing it as sure. much, but still like, it's not very easy to take CV lamb and Amari Cooper and those guys out of a game, regardless of what the run game is doing on, on most nights. So I thought them being able to do that was really good. So to me, especially the Nasir Adderley part of it, it was great to see him have that bounce back game after I was more um, cautiously optimistic or, you know, after week one and that effort against Washington, I thought he really improved. Uh, and the whole secondary was kind of like a A minus kind of game for me. Yeah, they did much better than I ever would have expected. And now some of that comes from Dak Prescott throwing in 2.25 seconds, which is faster than Herbert threw last week against the Washington football team. So yeah, uh, it's not like they, they challenge these guys deep or anything, but I guess I'm assuming there wasn't really much there. You know, for each guy, I believe Cooper and Lamb, if you take away that end of half, you know, catch and run sort of desperation play, I think they had like 74 yards or something like that combined. And if and again, if you had told me that was the outcome and they had 70 something yards combined and no touchdowns, I would assume that the Chargers have blown them out. <laughs> the secondary, even no. without Chris Harris Jr., absolutely stepped up and, and did so much better than I would have expected. But um, aside from those guys, I guess I got to give it to, okay, well, I got to give it to Justin Herbert first. And while I don't think he played a perfect game, there were just plays. And maybe, Steven, you can speak on this too. There's something, this is the first time I've seen him really live against an NFL team. There's just something about sitting in the end zone view and watching him work and then how just how that ball launches out of his arm yeah. down the field and the plays that he's making. You know, we were sitting on whatever end zone that was and he threw that 40, what, two-yard pass to Keenan Allen. It's like, where is that going? How is that going to, oh my God, it's a completion. And he right over the defender. It was just perfect. And having that view just makes me appreciate him so much more. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will have to give it up for, for Mike Williams here. I, I really, really think that they are not asking him to do anything spectacular or special that he can't do. And that's the point. Like I was more disappointed that he maybe couldn't do more than that, but they are letting him do and be exactly who he is. And what he is right now is a very, very good possession receiver. Um, unfortunately, some calls were called back or some, some plays were, were called back and that was unfortunate, but yeah, he just looks like the go-to target and a very, solid almost equal to keenan allen i don't think he's an equal receiver to keenan allen but in terms of a target for justin herbert they're very much a 1a 1b right now and it's really really good to see in a contract year for him that he's playing so well yeah i mean to your point he's on pace for more targets than keenan allen right now like it's it's definitely not something that we would have expected and of course it's two games and that that can change right but we, we all wanted to see Mike Williams be more versatile and be more involved and be more than just a jump ball guy. And it's been happening and it's been very successful. I know he had the, the one drop touchdown, which I mean, imagine his numbers and touchdowns right now, if he hadn't mm. dropped that, but um, it's just, it's so much fun to watch. And everybody talking in the chat about Joe Lombardi, y'all are tripping. Are we really talking about going mm. back to Shane Steichen and company right now? Come on. Joe Lombardi and this offense is not the problem. Like, I don't know how anyone is watching this team put up 400 yards both of the last two games and feel like Joe Lombardi is the problem. The execution in the red zone is not Joe Lombardi's fault. Like, this is this is a non-issue for me. Like, Joe Lombardi is absolutely not the issue for me. So I understand, mm-hmm. like, we all want this team to score more and we want them to execute better. But Joe Lombardi is not the problem. The offense is humming on all cylinders. They're moving the ball at will against these teams. So if you think Joe Lombardi is the problem, you like, please, like, we're watching a different game because I am not seeing a play caller be the problem at this point. 
I will say like a small criticism of Lombardi. Like I don't really think he's the problem and I don't, I'm not going to say like, Oh, Lombardi. I thought he was, I really thought Herbert and Lombardi had a worse plan than they did. But upon rewatching, I'm, I'm watching the freaking thing from the 300 seats in the stadium. So I'm really <laughs> able to actually watch this game. Like I, I realized that there was more to it than just Lombardi's days or Herbert's yeah. jinx. But I will say I was surprised that they kept, maybe not kept, but there were so many instances where the team would end up with like second and nine because they're running for these modest gains. And it kind of, it just felt like instead of passing to get ahead and to be ahead, it just sometimes felt like they were taking these runs. There was one run like second and 12 where they decided to run. I didn't like that all that much. And then they kept trying to get those running backs involved, like Eckler in the pre-snap motion, and then jump right to the flat. And I feel like they did it 15 times. And at some point, the Cowboys just kept hitting the guy for a one-yard loss or a one-yard gain. It wasn't really working. So that wasn't, I wasn't a super big fan of that. But other than that, like I thought it was a pretty solid game. Again, they are moving the football, but you know, Keenan Allen slipping twice, ref calls, you know, all sorts of issues. That's not on Lombardi in the end. So player execution, I think, will make things much better. I I wouldn't go as far as to say it's on Lombardi. By no means is he on the hot seat in favor of Shane Steichen or you know, all <laughs> that. Like, no. Um, but I do think that the Chargers just kind of we're able to chug down the field at a pretty good pace. Um, and then obviously we talked about the red zone issues, which were just like, you know, kind of a cross between Herbert decision-making people not being in the right place at the right time, rather than what the actual play calls were. Um, so to me, that was more the problem in the red zone. I will say it kind of in the middle of the field, I didn't really love all the stuff they were doing with uh, all of like the screens and sort of short stuff they did. Or sure. I felt that they went to that well a little bit too much in this game, particularly, you know, just at the end where, like, I, I think there was one where, like, maybe it was Justin Jackson and Herbert, like, kind of nearly threw a pick there. Um, so yeah. there were just a couple of those where uh, I, I I don't mind those plays getting called because, you know, obviously sometimes they'll throw it to Austin Eckler. Sometimes you'll get it to one of those guys and it'll work and it'll break a big game. We've seen that so many times, but I just felt like they were going to the well so much for that. And, you know, I would have liked to have seen more running plays. I mean, especially when you look at the stats and it's like, well, Eckler did finish with, you know, uh, over six yards per carry. Right. So he did well in that sense. Um, and I thought Justin Jackson had a couple flashes where I was like, okay, this, you know, he's getting a little bit going in both the passing or the rushing and the receiving game. Um, but they just sort of never really went back to it. Obviously Eckler got hurt a little bit for a series and then came back into the game. So it was a little bit disjointed, but because it was a close game the whole time, I think that they could run the ball more, but, um, I think that they'll get the red zone stuff figured out. I'm not too concerned about it at this point, obviously, if this is a trend that we still see by week six and, and the bye week and week seven, and they're, you know, sort of still at this 18 and a half points per game. And, you know, we're seeing top five, top five in yards. Like, yeah, I mean, that will be a thing that needs to be talked about at that point. Um, but for me, I just don't uh, see it as kind of a problem yet. And I think people are still learning the offense. Yeah, I, I, we kind of figured that this would be a, a bit of a struggle to kind of get in a rhythm. And, you know, unfortunately, that's been the case. I think one of the things that I talked about I wanted to see improved from Lombardi this week is a more diverse, you know, rushing attack. And we saw that there was a lot more RPOs this week. There were more mm -hmm. outside zone runs. There were more 
you know, there was a jet sweep to Jalen and guy and like he is improving. And that's all that I really care about at this point in his career. Like he has shown me enough at this point where I'm comfortable going forward. Is it perfect? No, like there's definitely some stuff that needs to be cleaned up, but he's like, he's been an offensive coordinator for like 30 games. Like this is going to improve. So I get like, it's frustrating to not have these deep bombs and not watch Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson run 75 yards into the, into the end zone. But Justin Herbert had 10 attempts that traveled more than 20 yards. Three of them got called back for penalties, but he had 10 attempts that went for more than 20 yards in the air. So they're throwing it down the field. Like they promised. They're just not getting the deep touchdowns. I think they will come, but everybody talking about like, we miss Tyron Johnson. Like, did we not watch Justin Herbert throw a fucking laser beam for 45 yards in the air to Keenan Allen? So I'm not worried about the play calling. I'm not worried about the design of the offense. I'm worried about the execution. I'm worried about the red zone interceptions. I'm worried about the, the red zone penalties. And that's not on the offensive coordinator. I uh, I do miss Tyron Johnson, but that's only because they kept KJ <laughs> for special teams value, and uh, that's looking like absolutely, garbage absolutely, yes, absolutely. Ready to see this French guy and see what he's about. Um, all right, let's shift gears a little bit here, which we can talk about. Obviously, we have to talk about Storm Norton today um, because the, <laughs> Who's the first. We? Come on, Stephen. <laughs> okay. The first PFF thing came out, and according to Arjun, he had given up 11 pressures, which is absurd. And then for whatever reason, it went from 11 to 10 to 9. It was bad. It really was bad. And, you know, I was giving Micah Parsons and the Cowboys a lot of shit because I didn't really think that was a smart move. Uh, Apparently, Micah Parsons is the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. For all I know, this is like the next Jesus at the defensive end (laughs) position. Um, but to me, it just felt like Storm Norton had a bad plan of attack and it felt like mm-hmm. he was really, really worried about Micah Parsons kind of burning him past the edge and running around him. He was really oversetting and really kind of just allayed him to the inside rush quite often. And then really the only criticism of Lombardi that I have yesterday is that they were not helping Storm Norton with chips at all. You know, last week against Washington, we saw... Steven Anderson chip him, chip Chase Young or Montez Sweat a couple times. We saw uh, Gabe Neighbors do it. They left Storm Norton on an island all game long. So if you're going to criticize Joe Lombardi, that's where you can criticize Joe Lombardi, in my opinion, and have it be a fair criticism. But still, Storm Norton needs to play better. I guess my question to you guys, and Tyler, we'll start with you first, is how worried are you and when are you potentially making a change? I'm well, okay. Based on that game alone, I'm very worried and terrified. Um, I don't know why he wasn't given as much help. Granted, you know, I, I don't know much about offensive line and how to help, but you described back in the Washington pre uh, Washington football team preview episode how to help Rashawn Slater. So, why that wasn't done for, for Storm Norton, I don't quite understand. I don't know if on tape, for whatever reason, in college, Parsons was just a run faster on the outside kind of guy. And so they're like, okay, he's probably going to beat you outside. And then that's why he, I don't know. Like I'm trying to explain this away, explain away almost, you know, nine pressures or whatever it is. Um, but I do think that storm Norton eventually falls in between 
his performance against the Washington football team, his performance against the Cowboys. I don't think he's going to yeah. give up nine pressures every week. I don't think he's going to give up only one pressure every week. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And at the end of the day, this all really does fall on Brian Balaga. We do feel, I think at least all three of us feel, that Brian Balaga, when healthy, is much better than Storm Norton. That's just the way it is. So I think, you know, Balaga, he's got two more games to be out. He's probably going to come back at the buys, and you they just have to hold on. So give Norton some help when Balaga comes back. If you want to put Balaga on the island, I would understand that. Um, but for now, just give him help. And I'm, I'm just not, I'm not super worried with Balaga coming back, but it is time to draft a new right tackle. Yeah, I think the Storm Norton thing for me really came down to like, this is who Storm Norton is. Like, I mean, we saw this last year where it was like, and this just goes to how bad the Chargers offensive line was last year. It was like, oh, Storm Norton is actually the highest Chargers PFF rated offensive lineman. It's like, yeah, it's because he's a 65 on the website and all the other guys <laughs> suck. <laughs> like, you know, that that yeah. was the whole thing with it last year, right? So like Storm Norton to me is like, I mean, very much a Sam Tevy type where it's like, yeah, he'll have good yeah. games where he's serviceable and he'll also have bad games where he's not right. serviceable at all. Um, and some games where he's in the middle, like Tyler said, like that's just the difference between having him and Brian Balaga. Um, and so I felt like the Washington, you know, hype train when it came to Storm Norton, because he, you know, did get that one play with Chase Young and did a generally good job in the second half. Um, you know, there's just going to be a lot of variance in his performances throughout the year. Now, I think you can still stick it out. I saw a lot of people demanding that we immediately move Filer to right tackle. I don't quite agree with that. Uh, I think you allow Norton to play next week uh, at right tackle and then, you know, see, you know, what 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 it's going to be like, right? Obviously, if he gets, you know, bullied by Chris Jones and those guys next week and, you know, we're having this conversation again, then I think going into the Raiders game, then you probably have to consider, you know, uh, obviously Max Crosby and some of the other stuff on that, then maybe you consider Filer going there, right? But... For me at this point, uh, this was always who Norton was. He is a very high-level XFL tackle, uh, and that <laughs> means that you are a middling NFL tackle, right? Yeah. So to me, that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, obviously, we can hope for the best for him, and like Steven and Tyler have insinuated, I think there are ways you can help Storm Norton that will balance him out, but this is what he's going to be for the whole year. So this is just kind of a hold hold on phase and hope Brian Balaga is actually able to come back down the road. Yeah, it's just all about mitigating the risk, which they were able to do in the first game. I, I don't, maybe they just kind of expected, or maybe they were not expecting Micah Parsons to play on the edge as much as he did. Or I don't really know what the kind of coaching was going on there, but um, you know, you have to be able to mitigate the risk at least somewhat you know, you're not going to be able to chip or, you know, slide protection his way on every single pass play. Like you're just not NFL teams are too good across the board. And so like, you're going to have to figure out a way to make things easier for him. And, you know, Micah Parsons is really fast. Like he's, he's a very fast individual. So that gives a larger individual problems at times. And it just, unfortunately felt like it just really steamrolled for storm against Micah Parsons and specifically, um, so they'll have to figure it out as for like moving filer there. Like I said earlier, I personally am not interested in moving filer over to right tackle anymore. I thought that was potentially something they could do, um, earlier in the season. Like if they had more preparations to, maybe they do after the bye week Like if Brian Belaga is still not healthy, then maybe you can put, 
you know, Matt Filer over there after the bye week. But right now, I'm really interested in kind of focusing in on Rashawn Slater and building up his confidence and building up his repertoire. And it's much easier for the left tackle to play next to Matt Filer over Brendan Hymas. I'm always nervous about having two rookies next to each other on the same side, even if I really, really, really like those two rookies. So it just make it's going to make things easier for Rashawn Slater if Matt Filer is always next to him. So to me, moving him to right tackle at this point is like break class in case of emergency. Like you know, Norton gets hurt, mm-hmm. Michael Schofield gets hurt, and then you move him over there. So uh, I'm I'm not super worried about that. Uh, the left side, it's just the right side. Like Storm, like you guys said, he's going to have some bad games. He's going to have some good ones. Unfortunately, this one just really snowballed against him. I think at some point Brendan Hymas could absolutely play and play well, but I always go back to, you know, we all, not we all, sorry, there are a lot of people who wanted, you know, the sort of uh, preseason standout Roderick Teamer to start. It's like, come on, get him in there, get him in there, get him in there. And with all the injuries during that season, he finally got to play. He played the Texans, and I believe, Steven, you were at that game, and he got absolutely killed by some no-name Texans players. It was really bad. So as much as I think Hymas could eventually be good, I have to sort of trust their personnel decisions at this point. And if they don't think that that's the best option, it's because they kind of know Hymas just isn't there yet. And maybe, again, maybe he could be good. I don't know. But like you said, don't break up that left side. Again, in the end zone view that we had, you could watch on whether outside zone or whatever they ended up doing or screens. Also, you see Slater and Filer out there on the left side, lead blocking for Eckler. It's beautiful. Like, you don't want to take that away. And especially the next game where, again, you're playing the Chiefs who have given up the most yards uh, rushing yards in the NFL and the highest yards per I think they I, they give up six yards per carry right now that the Chiefs do so if your goal is to kind of attack with the run game next week I would keep it as is yeah I heard a fun stat today uh on the athletic football show the uh the Chiefs defense is 32nd in the league in points per play and EPA and like literally every advanced metric the Chiefs defense <laughs> is bad it's in a very bad spot right now so I feel like that's something that we can exploit. Um, all right, guys, any final general takeaways before we get into studs and duds and then some questions? Nope. Okay. So as I said, we are going to talk about studs and duds right now. After we talk about studs and duds, we'll take some questions and, and just have a good chat uh, for about 15, 20 minutes. So um, let's get started with some duds first, and then we'll wrap it up with uh, a positive stud. So, Tyler, who is your first dud of the day? We've sort of already talked about it. If I get two duds, then I got to start with the one that I talked about, and that's Kenneth Murray. Again, average depth yeah. of tackle in the run game is an eight. Maybe it's the new scheme. Maybe it's the injury. But right now, he is not really doing anything outside of that one play on, I think, their final drive wasn't really doing anything to help. He just looks confused. He looks flat-footed. He looks slow, which is a surprise for someone who's supposedly so athletic and has no, you know, lower body injuries that are, you know, super serious outside of he has the shoulder injury, but nothing lower body from last year that would also turn him into a slow player this year. So I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um last year it did take him some time. Like we built towards that Patriots game. So I think Kenneth Murray could build towards something, but in this game he was not very good, and it was surprisingly bad. Yeah, I think um, building off that on the defense, 
I think Joey Bosa has to be my dud for this game. Uh, I don't think by any means that, that you know, because a lot of people are like, Joey Bosa's actually never been good, if you think about it. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Okay, Joey Bosa's an elite head player. <laughs> that was but, a fun conversation today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just felt like this Very was a game also. when... <laughs> nice shirt. Thank you. Uh, I just felt like this was a game where Joey Bosa had to have an impact. Like you're going against yeah. Terrence Steele and this Dallas offensive line was not in shambles, but was sort of in you know turmoil from the Lyle Collins situation. I just felt it was up to Joey Bosa specifically to take advantage of that. Obviously, you had to have Jerry Tillery step up and you had to have other guys step up. But um, him putting up the game that he had where he just kind of got clamped by Terrence Steele the whole game. Um, obviously there are going to be situations where he's double teamed, but, uh, just, I think you needed a better performance from him if, uh, you know, the chargers were going to get significant kind of pass pressure and all that stuff. Obviously Dallas helped out Dak by getting the ball out quickly, just in general. Um, but you know, I, I felt like Kyler Fackrell was a little bit more active than him. Obviously he gets that play sort of towards the end of the game. Um, and so, you know, I think you just needed more from Joey Bosa in this game. And so I thought the effort there was a little bit disappointing. Uh, are we doing two duds? Or are we doing one dud? What's the final count on that? Uh, last week, we just did the one. So if you, But oh, if you okay. want to give a second one, you can go right ahead. Ooh, I'm going to go with another big contract Chargers player. I'm going to go with Keenan Allen. Uh, I didn't like what he did in this game uh, against Trevon Diggs consistently. And if you just look at the ESPN box score, it'll be like, oh, he had four catches for 108 yards. Uh, And that's true. But, you know, 60 of those yards or so came on that one big Herbert throw where he just laser beamed that thing over there. And so for the rest of the game, Keenan Allen really had about three receptions for 40 yards. Um, and so I think that he just needed a little bit more to need a little bit more consistency. Obviously, Mike Williams kind of stepped up to the plate, but in a game where, I mean, you probably had six, seven, maybe combined receptions, uh, between Austin Eckler and Jalen Guyton and, you know, a lot of those guys, I, or sorry, no, Austin Eckler had six receptions himself, but the supplementary receivers in terms of, uh, Guyton and Palmer and those guys, you know, they're going to have those kind of minimal contributions. So I think Keenan Allen was a guy who needed to step up in this one and sort of didn't. And I was surprised by just how he wasn't getting dominated, but he was just sort of, he never really beat a guy on a route that I felt comfortable with. And uh, given the state of this Dallas defense, I, uh, I, I thought he was just a little bit off today. I mean, yesterday. I'm going to hardcore disagree with your duds there. Um, Okay, not that I don't see that there's disappointment. Like, you want your stars to be more of a superstar. But, again, if we can give credit for the Chargers for having an outstanding game plan against the Washington football team to not let Herbert get hit and throw it so fast, I think we have to also acknowledge that, A, Joey Bosa had, you know, was facing probably two guys quite a bit. And also, they were just getting the ball out. And they were – they even showed on one play on the um, Tony Pollard uh, run on, like, the sweep or whatever. They just – you took advantage of him coming downhill to try to rush the passer and they just ran right around him. You know, I think they, they game plan really well around him. They game plan to stop him. They were quick in their passes. So I just think there was almost no way he would have had a great game. Now, again, what have I liked to have been better? Absolutely. Would you like to see him beat double teams and, and impact the game more? Sure. And then Keenan Allen, the other thing is I just think, okay, so you think of the, the in red zone interception that Herbert threw where he, what are you going to call it tripped? You want to call it slipped, whatever. 
Like that would have been a touchdown. He was, I think, open enough for that to have been a touchdown. And then on the stupid sack call, I thought Keenan Allen was open and potentially would have had a touchdown on that play. And so there's another touchdown, but he fell on that one too. And again, that is problematic. You don't want that to happen. And of course that leads to, you know, the, the end result being what it was. But like, I think he was open on two plays where he could have had 30 yards and two touchdowns. And his, his, his total could have been, again, could have been almost doesn't count you know all this you know hypothetical stuff doesn't count but like i think he was open he would have had two touchdowns if not for some really unfortunate luck so while but to him to do better and staley did say that he kind of rounded a route that Diggs picked off he could have ran it more flat to help out herbert i think he was better than the box score like i think of i think of it the opposite way that you do i guess like i think he was better than the box score in my opinion yeah i I'm kind of in between there. I, I think Alex's point isn't that they like had bad games. I think that they were, I think it's that, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you can, I don't want to put words in Alex's mouth, but I think it's relative to the scale of them being arguably, you know, the second and third best players on the team. So Dallas was definitely game mm-hmm. planning for Joey Bosa. Like they did to Joey Bosa, what we did to chase young. Like it was, double teams it was chips it was run the opposite way it was like you mentioned the jet sweep so i i understand what alex is saying and i also understand what tyler is saying so i guess i'm kind of in the middle here but we're we're just Mm -hmm. so accustomed to joey bosa being great and we just didn't get to see i will say one of his one of his best plays of the day was uh a pass interference call on kaiser white on that fourth down remember when kaiser white Mm -hmm. ran into amari cooper Joey Bosa put a hell of a put put Terrence Steele in a blender and got a hit on Dak Prescott, but uh, didn't count because of freaking penalties. Mm. Um, so uh, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, no, I would just like to say that, like, in, in terms of the Keenan Allen thing first, for me, it was it wasn't so much that, like, I looked at his final stat total and thought this was bad because I said, you know, he did have 100 yards and it's like, OK, you know, that's a Keenan Allen kind of game. But it's just that he wasn't yeah. as consistently present throughout. Right. Like the key down that we I agree expect, there. Right. Like they do sort of overemphasize Keenan Allen in this offense a little bit where it's just like maybe sometimes they're targeting him too much. But still, it felt like in this game, you know, they, they obviously tried going to him when he wasn't quite open. Um, but still, like they just couldn't really get that consistent thing throughout the game that they had maybe in Washington. Right. Um, and yeah. not every game mm-hmm. is going to be, a, you know, a, a, an overall dominant Keenan Allen game. Uh, he's not going to get 100 yards every game uh, and, and 10 receptions, right? Like, that's just not going to happen. But uh, I just wanted him to be a little bit more present throughout. And then I think that would have opened up opportunities for <laughs> wide receivers that weren't Mike Williams. Sorry, I'm just laughing at the GoFundMe comment. That's actually <laughs> hilarious. Um <laughs> I will say about Keenan Allen, like uh, watching the broadcast or watching the game live, I, I couldn't really tell what happened on the the taunting penalty. I was just mm-hmm. kind of confused, like mm-hmm. what was going on. But watching the broadcast today, I I was pretty frustrated with Keenan. Like I, I he Keenan was motioning that, like, yes. to his head, and like it felt like he thought that whoever hit him had a dirty hit on him. And I, I understand like being heated in the moment and like feeling you got a dirty hit on you but keenan needs to know Mm -hmm. better than that and that really set them back that was on that same drive i think that 
uh, Herbert threw the interception, if I'm not mistaken, in the red zone. I would have to go back and watch to be uh, certain, but I would have to agree. And then as the Cowboy fan in here uh, points out, Trevon Dix is really good. Like his interception on, on Justin Herbert was a really high level play. It wasn't a great throw by Justin Herbert, and it wasn't great execution by Keenan, but it was a very high-level play by Trayvon Diggs. Um, so that's mm-hmm. what we have to say there. Um, my dud, like, it was it was hard for me to pinpoint one specific dud, but I'm going to go with Justin Jackson, and I know he didn't really play all that much, but watching him live, I was like, oh, he like he's doing some good things. But watching him on the broadcast, it doesn't feel like he trusts himself right now. It felt like watching him live that he was kind of shying away from contact in the hole or at the point of attack. And I just like, I'm ready for Larry Roundtree season, man. Like I thought we were getting it last week after Larry Roundtree had like six or seven carries and played good. And then it was the Justin Jackson week today. And maybe they felt like he was the hotter hand, but I just don't feel like Justin Jackson trusts himself right now. And there was even that one play where he got tackled like after a gain of a yard where his feet like completely stopped in the hole and he ended up getting tackled by, I think Leighton Vander. Yeah. So yeah, that that's, was you never want to see that happen for a running back. That's how you get hurt. That's how you get other teammates hurt. So I'm like cooling on Justin Jackson right now. And I'm not saying that anybody said that he's having a great game, but I, I want to see more Larry Roundtree. Mm-hmm. I want to see this element of physicality that he brings to this offense and I don't know, like, I'm just kind of worried about Justin Jackson's uh, lack of confidence right now. I was definitely surprised that they moved away from Larry Roundtree. That was, I don't know why. Like, I, I mean, I guess game script, sure. But then, I don't know, very, very confusing for sure. That one play that you mentioned, I forgot about that. Watching that live, I almost, I shouldn't excuse him on it, but I, I kind of get it. Like if I were running towards that point, I don't remember what the play was exactly, but I remember thinking to myself, watching it live and on the replay, there was kind of like a no win. Like I could see him having the hesitation because he thought something was going to be there and then it wasn't. So he froze. And so I can't really give him a pass for that, but I see the, I see the thought process of him going. And by the time he, you know, I tried to make a decision, it was over, but um, yeah, Larry Ranchi not getting involved was strange. But other than that, I actually thought Jackson played well. I thought, he looked good. Now he only had what five touches, but you know, 5.3 yards to carry and one catch for eight yards. Like, I don't know how much yeah. better he could have done at that point. Could he be more explosive? Could Larry Roundtree have gotten 6.3 yards per carry? Maybe. Absolutely. But I do think Jackson in the four attempts that he had, one was just like a weird, I don't know, like a brain freeze, but I thought he looked good in my opinion. I, I was actually kind of wanted to, see, he came in more, I think in the second half and I thought, wow, there's some kind of some juice again to the, to the offense. So I actually thought he played well considering yeah i can see that and he did have one really good run i think his first run was the best of the day uh, i have to chuckle right now at the mm-hmm. cowboys fan in here saying that kenneth murray is cold after we all kind of shit on him today uh, which is really funny <laughs> um, but all right let's shift to studs here i'm gonna start uh i'm gonna kick this one off and i'm going with asante samuel jr i called yeah, my shot said that he was gonna get an interception and he did so <laughs> for making me look smart but I thought he played really, really well. Do on that. I know he uh, and Limbaugh Joseph played better than I thought he would too. So shout out to to Limbaugh. Mm. Um, but Asante played great, man. Like I know that he, you know, there's not going to be like a, a a great like reception percentage next to his name today, um, or from yesterday. But 
I thought he had a couple really, really good tackles. He had the interception, which was such a smart diagnosis of what was happening. Mm -hmm. And then he had that one breakup on a pass breakup on fourth down. That was just like really high level stuff on Amari Cooper, like truly, you know, top tier corner stuff. So I'm so excited about Asante Samuel Jr. And we've been talking about this rookie class for months and it really seems like the Chargers have hit it out of the park with Slater and Samuel. I thought Samuel was fantastic yesterday. Brandon Staley said that they didn't want to move him into the slot after last week. So he's purely an outside corner at this point. And as Edski points out in the chat, he is a gamer. I love what I saw from Asante Samuel Jr. yesterday. Yeah, uh, I guess for my stud, I will stay in the secondary and I will go with uh, fellow Philadelphia native uh, Nasir Adderley. Yes, thank uh, you. I'm glad he, you brought this one up. I, I thought he needed a bounce back week after last week. Um, I gave him a lot of shit on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but relative to his 2019 draft classmate, Jerry Tillery, uh, I thought he had a great game. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, I thought that Nas really did a good job. Obviously, a lot of people will talk about the not catching the ball in the end zone. But, like, look, he saved four points off the board by forcing the uh, Cowboys to go for a field goal there, right? Like, so, yeah, it would have yeah. changed if, yeah. you know, he holds on to that pick. But, you know, that's still a pass deflection that was really quality. Led the team in tackles outright. Uh, with a bad shoulder injury you know like yeah. that's just kind of something that doesn't happen so i just thought he was a baller today uh or, yeah, i keep saying today yesterday i know um, <laughs> we only did we only did know. the one live recap and we're yeah. already used to the schedule <laughs> yeah um so no I, I just thought nasir adderley uh played really well i thought this was a bounce back game for him and in terms of going forward like I sort of have confidence in him next week. Like when we talk about like all the guys that will need to be covered on the chiefs and need to be taken care of, obviously like the chiefs are going to burn the chargers on a bunch of plays, but like, I feel more confident with Asante and Derwin, Chris Harris coming back uh, and Michael Davis and all those guys uh, more so than I felt coming into this week. And I think that's because of what both uh, Asante and Adderley showed us. Yeah, before Tyler jumps in here, he had a couple tackles on CD Lamb in space that yeah. were some really, really good stuff. And then the thing that I really liked was that almost interception that Alex was just talking about that people are talking about in the chat. It was the same mm -hmm. route concept that Logan Thomas did in week one. Oh, and this time, Nasir Adderley actually undercut it, and he played the ball really well. So I would have loved to see him come down with the interception, of course. But he made that adjustment. He learned from his mistake. And to me, that shows the mental capacity of a player like that. And so I'm really glad that you brought Nasir Adderley up. If I saw they hadn't played so well, he would have been my stud. Uh, so good one, Alex, there. Mm -hmm. um, skeptical fan. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you, Cowboys fan. Oh, is that a Cowboys <laughs> fan? Wow. I think that's a Cowboys fan. Very generous. <laughs> awesome. Shout out to the Cowboys fan in the chat here. Um, okay, Tyler, let's wrap this conversation up with the uh, with your stud of the day. Got to go with Derwin James. He, they completely changed how they used him. Last week, it was, you know, 12 box safety snaps, 20 free safety snaps, 19 in the slot. This game, it was 45 snaps in the slot. And he went from giving up nine yards last week, doing all of that, to only 23 yards this week playing in the slot. Like, they basically... There were, again, sorry that the Dallas Cowboys fan who gave us money just now. I appreciate you. YouTube, <laughs> YouTube uh, Cowboys fans are better, I guess. But the Twitter Cowboys yeah. fans, you know, Derwin James is a safety. He's not a corner. He can't cover. I'm like, okay, you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah. But he can cover. Unfortunately, he didn't have any, you know, 
past the QJ. Let's go, Jay. Let's go. There. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, Derwin James was oh, amazing, and you know had oh, such geez. a tough assignment. There was also a play where you know he came on a blitz. It almost like changed the game for them. Um, he blew up the left guard to free up Jerry Tillery. Gosh. I don't think he ran through the, the running back as well and just absolutely annihilated that play to you know have them combine Durbin James and Jerry Tillery for the sack there. I mean, for him to be that good in coverage, and then when the game when they needed him in the game, for him to just blow up everything that was going on in front of him and help get that sack it was a big deal. And he's, I mean, right now I believe again I'm not a huge pro football focus guy, but he is the number one graded safety of you know in the nfl right now and again not a bit in their grades but i really think he's playing like that too so happy to see him back he's amazing he really is he was awesome and you know we're it was just so good to see him out there and show what he had and um it's cowboys fans in the chat i'm really sorry but we we heard all week long that the chargers secondary was not going to hold up and we were worried about it like i'm not going to lie but the way that this group mm-hmm. played as a whole, all three member, all three of us picked our studs from the secondary really kind of shows, you know, what that group is about. All right. So we are going to open up this conversation for questions. We'll take questions for about five, 10 minutes. Um, we'll shout out some stuff in the chat. If you want to make sure that your question gets answered, please use the super chat feature as J blue did. Other than that, we'll just kind of scroll through and shout out anything that uh, stood out to us. So let me just you can up. even bring up the refs. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, where we'll, now, yeah. now is your time. <laughs> yeah, I, I told Alex and Tyler beforehand that I did not want to talk about the refs too much tonight until we got to the questions part. Um, so if you want to talk about the refs and ask about the refs, then now is the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Someone asking about Derwin missing open field tackles concerning. I mean, he's missed one so far, so I'm not super concerned. And it's Derwin James. He also had a really good, like, I think, four yard loss or whatever tackle he's gonna be fine he'll yeah. be fine it was a it was a hell of a juke by cedric wilson man i'm not even gonna lie like that shit was oh, nasty yeah. <laughs> uh richie rocha says still don't get why you guys for you guys is better to score less than 20 points with the marty than 35 with shayton i think you mean steichen uh it doesn't make sense get rid of the shanahan offense um listen like the shanahan offense is the best system in the league right now um every best offense in the league is being run by a shanahan guy so i don't understand why people hate on the system that works so much in the nfl um i like i said i'm not too worried about the points i think it's going to come in bunches um the offense is like fifth in the league in yards right now so i think that's going to even out over time and i think this unit is going to become more explosive um Shane Steichen like I think in a better situation maybe could be a better offensive coordinator um but uh no like do not want any part of Shane Steichen back on this team right now so I will actually commentate to that now that Shane Steichen is the offensive coordinator for the Eagles um they scored 11 points this week (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't great Uh, now I do think Shane Steichen did uh, very well the week before against Atlanta uh, in terms of just getting guys open. Obviously, there was a lot of fun with Devonta Smith and Jalen Rager. Uh, and I still do actually have confidence in him in terms of getting these young guys to where they need to be. Uh, but in terms of the whole Lombardi versus Steichen dynamic, like 
Steichen wouldn't work on this team, in my opinion, just because, I mean, he doesn't, you know, fit what Staley wants to do, right? Like, so a, a lot of the offensive coordinator talk is just, do you fit under this guy's general philosophy, yes or no? And the play calling stuff is almost kind of second to that, like, in terms of the philosophy yeah. and play calling. So I, um, I, that's just my opinion on it. Uh, I still have confidence in, in both Steichen and Lombardi because now I have to root for them both. Uh, but uh, it's, um, I, I didn't think that Shane Steichen has done anything amazing in these first two weeks that made me go, man, I really regret Joe Lombardi. Doesn't uh, Sirianni I think call plays there, though? Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, yeah. He, he he does. Um, it, but, yeah, I mean, it is effectively both of their combined playbooks and all, you know. Gotcha. I, I will say with the, the Steichen versus Lombardi thing, Steichen and Lynn, for better or worse, they were there for a while and they kind of knew everybody and they sort of had their system. Granted, also yes. the quarterback caught thrown in and, and things changed, sure. But they were like Lombardi, they just showed up. Like they they, they just showed up. They're still trying <laughs> to get things together. Someone already right. pointed out in the chat and I've pointed out before, it took two years for the Saints to get their things together and become yeah. a dominant offense. And so it'll just take some time. And, you know, I, th- I think they'll be just fine. Yeah. And I, I said this last week, I feel like we've seen probably like 25% of this playbook right now. And that's going to keep yeah. growing and growing. And so right now, it, I, I saw somebody say today that all they're doing is hitch routes and checkdowns for Herbert and could not be further than the truth. Um, there are definitely some kinks that they have to work out. But like mm-hmm. Tyler was just saying, like, Joe Lombardi has known Justin Herbert for like what five months? Like, let's give it some time. Um, I want to talk about one of the other questions. Uh, a couple of people pointed this out, and Edski Munoz and Philip Wynn uh, talking about Drew Tranquil and the way that he's been utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of when Murray left the game yesterday, we haven't seen a whole lot of Drew Tranquil. Um, you know, of course, Kaiser Wright had that great first game, and he's kind of taken over from for Tranquil's spot. But what do you guys make of, of Tranquil's usage at this point? Uh, we just talked about Kenneth Murray's struggles. So um, what are you kind of vibing in terms of the linebacker room at this point with Drew Tranquil? Alex, we'll start with I mean, you. Yeah, uh, I, I think the whole thing with it is just, unfortunately, he's the third linebacker in that room. And, you know, Staley prioritizes having all these DPs and all these, you know, uh, tackles at the first level, tackles and edges, I should say, in the first level more so than he does like the second level, right? So like, you don't really need more than Kenneth Murray and Kaiser White out there as far as linebackers are concerned. Obviously, depth, depth becomes concerning, but like, that's just how this defense is going to be. Like, I, I just don't think it's essential for Drew Tranquil to play. Now, alternate history, had Drew Tranquil not gotten hurt last year uh, in that first Bengals game, like maybe this would be different just in terms of what the Chargers would have seen from Drew Tranquil in a full season. Um, I, I don't think he would be phased out quite as quickly, but uh, I think they prefer Kaiser in the run game, at, at least right now, and, and sort of what he does. Uh, and to me, I, I don't really have a strong preference between the two. Plus, Tranquil is also valuable from a special team standpoint, right? Like, And I think he provides you more there than Kaiser White would, you know, so... Um, it, yeah, it, it stinks because like, you know, because of that injury, like we all thought Drew Tranquil going into 2020 particularly was going to be a breakout player and it didn't happen. But like now there's not a whole lot of room for him to be like a breakout difference making defensive player just because that's not what the scheme really calls for. 
Yeah, it's it's so hard when Murray and White are dominating all the snaps and we don't see Tranquil. So, I mean, I'd like to, I don't know, the the run defense, again, it was the preseason, but the run defense throughout the preseason when White and Tranquil were on the field. It was, was great. So, it was so, so good. It just seemed so decisive. And while I think that Murray, it, unfortunately, Murray is his own guy and the rotation is White and Tranquil. Now, Tranquil, it left barring an injury to Murray is not going to go in. I, but I wish they would or rotate or something. Like Murray is always going to, I would assume, to them, be that attacker to go get. And But he's not going and getting. So I just kind of wish Tranquil would come in a couple of times. Maybe it's a relief thing. Maybe yeah. sometimes Murray needs a breather. I don't know. I just, there's something instinctual lacking from Kenneth Murray in this run defense right now. But we saw it in the preseason. And again, yeah, it's the preseason, but the decisions and the mental processing by by White, of course, who's he's been playing really well, but also from Tranquil, it was just at a different level than what Murray's at right now. And so I don't know if they need to scale him back. Maybe Murray is a, I don't know. I, I'm very much so hoping that maybe with Tillery or with Murray that, and it doesn't work like this, but I wish that just because you weren't a first, just because you were a first round pick, it doesn't mean they can't take you off the field for guys that are playing better. And I hope that, you know, this run defense can get better. But if, if I, we had to keep watching, you know, Tillery or Murray just struggle against the run, struggle against the run, struggle against the run. Meanwhile, potentially better players are staying on the sideline or only getting three snaps a game or whatever it was. Tranquil probably was probably going to have like five snaps this past game if Murray didn't get hurt. I, I would hate to watch them waste that talent because players in front of them are first round picks. Um, so I hope things change. I think things could change. But for right now, I'm just it's not it's not necessarily puzzling. It's just because again, because Murray's his own guy. They want him for a certain role, and Tranquil and White are different roles. But I just can't help but notice that one guy's just really struggling and Tranquil looked really good. So I don't know. I don't know what happened in between the beginning of the, the offseason where Tranquil was going to be like the green dot starter, number one guy, all the way until now, where they're only giving him four snaps. I just feel like you need to find a way to rotate these guys a little bit better. Yeah, I'm definitely surprised at the lack of rotation because, I mean, we heard all preseason that it was co-starters, that Murray, Wright, and Tranquil were all starters, and that's not really been the case. So I thought it was pretty telling, like, right as Tranquil came in, he had a great run stop on the edge against Tony Pollard, which was a fantastic mm-hmm. play. Um, I we've all, been, we've all been big fans of Tranquil's game, and I think we all kind of agree that we'd want to see him more often. Um, shout out to the skeptical Cowboys fan. You are officially my favorite Cowboys fan. Uh, I had some very poor experiences <laughs> interacting on Twitter with Cowboys fans, but uh, shout out to you, man. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. a good guy. Appreciate you, man. Whatever your name is, I will follow you if you're on Twitter. Yeah, let I us guess. know what your Twitter at is, and we'll, we'll be sure to follow you. Um, wow, lots of Denzel Perryman questions today after he got cooked on Monday Night Football. So, uh, <laughs> love the guy. One of my favorite emotionally, you know, connected Chargers in recent memory. Um, I don't know if he would fare much better. Like, I, I, I think Denzel Perryman is so explosive against the run, but. I think Murray is, is pretty close to that same kind of level. It's just kind of off right now. Um, but mm-hmm. definitely miss the uh, the person, Denzel Perryman, for sure. I wanted to bring up this Absolutely. one uh, from Christian Red, who says, how much longer can we defend Jerry Tillery? And I'd like to respond to that by saying, we? 
uh, Julio asked that question, but yeah, I I did defend Jerry Tillery today, but Alex Alex did not. <laughs> That's my. I, I do strategy. think that he did better in the second half. I my only question, and I I'd have to rewatch this again. Was Tillery better? Mostly, did you think most of his run stops and whatever came on the final drive? I don't know. There was definitely one. There was definitely point. one early in the third quarter, um, and then mm. I want to say on the Cowboys. Uh, second to last drive was the other run stop. Um, okay, but, that's good. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I feel like the first half was not good, <laughs> um, but I did feel like he did no. improve in the second half, um, which he, he like, he's got to figure out a way to be more consistent again, which is the same problem as last year. But he had three pressures, had a couple mm-hmm. run stops. We want him to be more active, and he was. So, you know, I, I, if he's able to build on this and next week have a good game, um then we'll kind of you know go from there um yeah philip points out damon square is on the raiders um you know gus bradley Jeez. has collected all the former chargers players at this point i'm i'm pretty surprised mm-hmm. that jaleel adai is not on that team that's how uh, he completes the infinity gauntlet <laughs> <laughs> it's the ship of theseus from one division you know if you take out each piece of the ship and am i still vision or am i the new vision or the old vision that is too funny. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Tyler, Alex, any final thoughts before we uh, head out of here tonight? Uh, yeah, it was an illegal shift. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you guys, you're, you're in things. I uh, I feel like that's one of those rules, like traveling in the NBA, where like everybody does it, and it just really shouldn't be called. Um Someone pointed this out earlier. Actually, there was a play where Mike Williams got targeted in the end zone and the defensive back literally did not even turn yes. back. Yeah, I think that to me was <laughs> probably was my least favorite call of the, of the day. Uh, and then blowing Justin Herbert dead when he was clearly not dead uh, probably was second there. Yeah, um, I'm just going to say my piece about the refs in this final minute of the show, since I didn't get to do it. In, and I had like I had like whole speeches prepared for what I was going to say on the show. And Steven said we're not talking about it. So I had know, a team great. source quote ready, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, say that. Say what you guys want right here. Now. Yeah, spill it out. So nah, when it comes to the ref stuff and, and what I was saying on Twitter is like, I did go a little bit far in calling it loser shit to complain about the refs. Maybe that wasn't the best thing to say after the game. But in terms of how the Chargers played this game, like, I just, to me, it wasn't a clean enough game to the point where I go, man, like, they did everything perfectly, and then they just got boned by this call at the end. Like, everything was kind of a snowball effect until you hit the point of, like, halfway through the fourth quarter where things start to go wrong, right? Obviously, the sack was bullshit um the illegal shift i'm conflicted on because i feel like it was technically correct but generally it's not called that way so like that's a whole difficult thing i think daniel popper posted a video of um uh, an illegal shift or like an illegal motion downfield that the cowboys did that wasn't called so you know there's that whole debate but to me like if you're gonna give up 200 yards on the ground and you're gonna have joey posa get clamped and you're going to have Justin Herbert throw two pretty unwise interceptions, particularly the one he threw to KZ in the end zone. Like, I just feel like you lose a lot of ground to complain about a lot of the penalties and stuff that happened. Um, obviously, it did go against the Chargers later, but 
there were also times where the Cowboys got boned uh, on some calls. So to me, sure. it was sort of a bipartisan hating of the refs. Obviously, the Chargers penalties came in more uh, important moments. So that was kind of the differentiator. But to me, you know, this wasn't some kind of Green Bay, Seattle, 2012, where the fail Mary happens. And, you know, the, the, that was 2012. The, Dude, I felt oh, so old looking I'm that up. Old. I, I'm like, oh. and that was 2012. Um, yeah. And so, look, refs are part of the game. I Like uh, Randall says in the chat, like, there's going to be days where the refs are favor the Chargers. There's going to be days where the refs go against the Chargers. There's going to be days where it's neutral. Um, and I think you just have to play to it. So, to me, yeah. it's kind of go with the wind and it is what it is. Yeah, and to add to that, like, it sucks because a lot of the penalties were at key moments, right? Like, the Donald Parham touchdown, which we were we were celebrating, like, everybody in the stands was celebrating for, like, a solid oh, yeah. 10 seconds before all of us finally noticed yeah. that there was a flag, which it was just brutal. But watching it on tape, like, Jared Cook straight up tackled Leighton, Leighton Van Der Esch. Like, it was <laughs> yeah. such a – it was such a bad hold. Like, so bad. Yeah. And he was nowhere close to Justin Herbert. So – it was just – it was bad timing on a lot of them, which makes it tough to sit there and watch. Um, as Edsky points out, the uh, Ode Ibushi call where he was illegally downfield, that was really iffy for me. It felt like watching it um, – I'll, I'll confirm this when watching all 22, but watching the broadcast, it felt like somebody pushed him and he just like happened to kind of like mm. stand back up and he was past the line, which I just feel like is not very fair. Um, but it was bad on both sides. It's been bad around the whole league. It's worse in college football. Like at this point, you've just got to be able to overcome the bad officiating that's going on. Um, and the Chargers were just not able to do that. Um, Tyler, any final thoughts here? Uh, sorry, I keep going back to the refs now. Um, <laughs> okay, so if you watch Daniel Popper's breakdown, what is the key? Well, other than the fact that one was called and one wasn't, what was the key difference between those two? The difference was that one was called in the second or not called the second quarter one i believe was called in the fourth quarter and yeah. you know talking to someone with the team they they talked about that um refs don't want to feel like they missed calls so in crucial moments of football games it feels rigged in the fourth quarter but it happens and in close games they feel like if they miss a call it could cost them a job so i think they were looking for more things in the fourth quarter they want to make those calls in critical situations Whereas the not now the Cowboys might have done it 47 other times in the fourth quarter. I don't know, but just comparing those two, one was yeah. in the second quarter. This one was in the fourth quarter. And that did make a difference talking to this person from the team. And also um, I want you, anybody in the comments uh, who else moved There's another person that moved and they kind of also affected things as well. There were another player that potentially wasn't set on that play as well. So there's actually more than just the two that were mentioned. Okay, then. Alrighty. Uh, I didn't notice that either. So shout out to uh, Tyler and the team source. Um, I'm just going to wrap this up. <laughs> I'm just going to wrap this up. I, I know that there's been a lot of the negativity. Alex, did you have something else? Yes, I have to respond to one thing I got on Twitter. And somebody said, and this has stuck with me for 24 hours, that... <laughs> Alex views the Sixers differently because he always complains about the refs. And that is true. But uh, they did not lose the playoff series to the Hawks because of refs. It was because of Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers. So, you know what? I took offense to that comment. <laughs> so, I just had to get that out there. Yeah. It's, it's a tough day for referees all around. Um, I'm just going to wrap this up. I know that there was a lot of negativity today. I know. And, and yesterday was was worse. 
there's 15 games left. The Chargers have so much left in this season to prove right mm-hmm. or wrong, and there's so much more development that can come from this season. Um, I know it's it's overreaction time on Twitter, but you know, be patient. Remember that football season is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Football season is progressive. Teams and players continue to grow throughout the season. Um, I still feel like everything this team wants to accomplish, they can. I still think this team can be a playoff team. They definitely have to fix some things, but the sky is not falling. The season is not over. So um, cheer up, everybody. I know it was a tough loss, but this team is going to be able to bounce back, and I have full confidence that they will. Um, That's going to do it for Mm -hmm. us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to the Cowboys fan uh, uh, donating some money and to Jay Blue for for matching him. Uh, Always love the Super Chat features and questions. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.